0: It is fun to be here John and I wanted to salute you again on the occasion of this amazing 25 years I mean you have you have done celebrating probably as well as anybody in the vineyard. It has gone on and on and on and on. And that's great, I mean, it's just fantastic. And we all salute you, and the movement gossips about you all the time. Have you heard these wonderful things that are going on? But quite seriously, John and I do want to salute you because this is a huge thing. And you have done a remarkable thing for a quarter of a century in this part of the country. And you have been incredibly led by Chris and Fliss. And we honor them, and we love them dearly. We consider ourselves partners in crime. And we think you've done wonderfully well. And the truth is that I can say to you what they certainly can't and other people might not. Coming in from the outside, Chris Fliss's influence in this country across the vineyard is far greater than probably they realize. And certainly than you would know if somebody didn't tell you. They have done a remarkable thing in many, many areas. Not least in the way that they have promoted and provoked and, and built up worship in this place. I mean, the, the worship here, I was just reminded again this evening what you have really just done so brilliantly here, has gone out across the land and probably across the world. And here we have another tape, another CD, more new songs, more wonderful worship. So we're very proud of you. If that doesn't sound patronizing, it's from the heart. And we're really thrilled to be here. I wanted to start by telling you um, a story about um, the people that live over the fence. Some of you may have heard me talk of them before. We have a family living over the fence. They've actually just moved, but they've been with us now for about 10 years. Wonderful family, just dear, ordinary, fine people. uh, Four children under 10 years old, and just doing what families do. And as the littlest one of the family was born, it it turned out that he was severely, severely disabled and disadvantaged. It began to emerge. He was blind, he was deaf, He couldn't walk, he couldn't talk. He couldn't be fed other than through a tube or a bottle. And he's now nearly five. He's the dearest little chap. And when he was born, it was as if just this terrible devastation came on this family. And the Lord said to me, I want you to go in regularly and start praying for them. Because A, that's what neighbors do and that's what Christians do. And they lived across the fence. So I went in quite regularly and started to pray for them and the mother came to know Jesus and they asked Don and me to baptize all four of the children in the back garden. I mean, fantastic. And then within the last few months, I went in as I ordinarily did and I prayed for this little fellow and he was laid out prone across his mother's knee because he couldn't really sit, do anything on his own. And it was pitiful and I just said, Lord, would you come and strengthen this little boy's body? And within an hour, he was walking. He was walking. And I tell, I tell you that to tell you this. God is on the move today. He's moving through our neighborhoods and our streets and our families and our friends. And we are his hands and his feet. And it is for us just to go in and do what Christians do. Be friendly and pray for the sick and do the things that Jesus would want. And just now and again, he surprises us all. So within an hour and a half, there was a little video on my phone from my friend next door. And she said, look at this and there he was walking along the school railings. Now they can't stop him. They cannot hold him back, and he's even started to eat on his own. So, I mean, it is a sweet story, and I tell you it at the beginning of what I want to talk about, because I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Why would you not? And I want to talk about the Holy Spirit as God's empowering presence, It was he that empowered me. I tell you this story from a pure heart because it's only to tell you how amazing he is. And there's nothing he won't do with an ordinary, slightly undersized woman full of the Holy Spirit that loves Jesus and wants to make a difference. That's all we're talking about here, ladies and gentlemen. So God's empowering presence, the last recorded words of Jesus on the earth before he ascended and went back to his father were these, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The church of God needs the power of God in order to pursue the cause of God on the earth of God today. And it is his Holy Spirit that galvanizes the church into action, that literally inspires the body of Christ, that catapults her people into the streets, puts a spring in their step, a song in their heart, and wind in their sails. It's God's empowering presence. It's the Holy Spirit. We sang all evening. I, I was thrilled because they didn't know what I was going to talk about, and, but they talked all, we sang all evening about the presence of God. The presence of God was just tangible, manifest here. And he's brooding over us and he's resting over us and he's dipping in and out of our lives just as we sit here because his intention is before this night is out that you should be so filled with the spirit that you will go and pray for your neighbors and your friends and at the coffee machine, at the office, at the school gate tomorrow just to do the things that Jesus did and stand back and watch. That's all we're talking about. Because with the coming of Jesus, the rule and the reign of God broke in upon the world in fuller measure than had ever been seen before. And his continuing rule and reign, what we call the kingdom of God, is to be pursued and demonstrated by his church, his precious body on the earth, galvanized and empowered by his Holy Spirit. So those last words of Jesus to his friends on the Mount of Olives, to his gathered followers were that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And of course the events of Pentecost, it all began and it kicked off then and it went on through the book of Acts and we are its descendants. And that is the reality in which you and I are now living even this evening. We are direct descendants of those disciples. Direct descendants. We are the immediate inheritors of the promise that Jesus gave to them We're sons and daughters of the King of Kings. We are the Church of Jesus Christ that died for us. We are a Pentecost people, and we are to be filled, equipped, enabled by the Holy Spirit, empowered to do the things that Jesus would have us do. Now, as people of the scriptures, because we need to hold these things in tension, the explanations that our faith begs are of paramount importance. So whenever I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, I also want to talk about the scriptures, because we can't have one without the other, or the church will get lopsided and we'll get all askew. We do well to lash ourselves to the truths of the Bible, to the tenets of our faith, like sailors used to do in the old days as they lashed themselves to the masts of their ships during storms. The Bible is our plumb line, it's our gold standard, it's our magnetic north. Everything we do is measured beside it. Moses said to the people of Israel, these are not just words, they are your very life, he said. And our first resort should always be, what does the scripture say? Whatever issue we face, I only went in next door because the scripture says to go and pray for the sick. We only do whatever we do because the scripture says to do it. And so we need explanation from the scriptures as well as we need the experience of the Holy Spirit. And you will have heard this before, and I was brought up on it. But the, um, how does it go? The word without the spirit, and we dry up. The spirit without the word, and we blow up. The word and the spirit together, and we grow up. And that will be my prayer for this church as you enter into the next quarter century of ministry together. That you would be people of the scriptures and inspired and empowered by the Spirit of God. I love the Holy Spirit. I love who he is. I love what he does. I love anything that I see when he's at work. But I have to tell you, and I often do, it was not ever so. Because that wasn't the background that I came from. I grew up in a God-fearing, church-going, Presbyterian home. I had never any reason to believe that God wasn't my father. I always believed in the creator and I never had an issue with it. However, it must be said that the person of Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit were not realities in my life until my mid-twenties when I went to university and shared a room with a Christian girl. I spent the whole of my university life, I went to St. Andrews, the best university you could possibly go to. I danced the night fandango for four years through St. Andrews, having a whale of a time. And all the time the Christian Union were having prayer meetings for me, because I was so wayward and I was simply doing my own thing. But I shared a room with a Christian girl who loved the Lord Jesus and was full of the Holy Spirit and was determined to pray her roommate into the kingdom. And so she said to the Lord, every day of my life, until this very difficult girl I'm sharing a room with comes to know you, I will pray for her. And she prayed for me every single day for five years. The more she prayed, the harder I ran. The more she got her friends in to have little meetings, the more I ran in the opposite direction. But after five years of her daily praying, I came to faith. And I always tell her story because through that I came to know the Lord Jesus and through that I came into into touch with the person of his Holy Spirit. And as an aside, which is a little free piece of advice, if you do nothing else in the course of the next year than seek out one person to pray for every day, just see how kingdom history can be changed. Where would I be? Where would we be? It's unthinkable and all on the, co- the back of the prayers of a faithful, sweet girl. So that's a little sort of aside. However, I came to know Jesus, but I proceeded metaphorically to take a pair of nail scissors to my New Testament, because I found it very difficult to cope with some of the stuff that was in there. Anything that was weird, anything that was wacky, Anything that had anything to do with speaking in tongues or putting your hands on people or any of that weird stuff, prophetic, all of it that had to do with the Holy Spirit, I snipped it out. Because I couldn't explain it, it made me uncomfortable, and I didn't like it. However, I do have to say that at the end of the process, my disemboweled copy of the New Testament became increasingly and strangely ineffective. And then I got married. I got married at the advanced age of 31, and within a very few weeks of getting married, I was struck down seriously severely ill with meningitis. Now that's not a joke at any point in your life. It was no joke at 31, and it was miserable being newly married and meningitis. However, we were working, John and I, in a parish with some amazing people whom we loved dearly, but we had our issues because they were charismatics which meant that they believed all the funny stuff that I had now snipped out of the New Testament. So I was very, very ill, and this went on for about six weeks or so. Ghastly headaches, and I mean, I lived through it, clearly, but it was very bad. And then after about six weeks, one evening, I crawled back to the church. And the vicar, who was an amazing man and filled with the spirit, he said to me, my dear Eleanor, you're not at all well, are you? And I thought to myself, well, if that is an example of the gift of discernment, my friend, I really am not impressed. I could have told you that myself. (laughs) And he said to me, why don't you come tomorrow morning, Eleanor, to the staff meeting, because we would love to pray for you. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I know just what that's going to look like. They're going to be terribly friendly early on a Monday morning. They're going to smile beatifically at me. They're going to sit me in the middle of the room. They're going to cluster around me, like a sort of loose ruck in a rugby game. They're going to invade my personal space. And they're going to lay their hands on me. And were that not enough, they are then going to do that terrible thing that charismatics do. They're going to pray in tongues. And to me, for all the world, it sounded like knitting. So the next morning, John very wisely said to me, we, we know them well, we trust them, they're dear people, we have nothing to lose, we're in a bad way, and you're not well, let's go. So we went to the staff meeting, and it transpired that I was more of a prophetic figure than I had ever realized. All of the things that I had anticipated came to pass exactly, sat me down, huddled around me, laid their hands on me, prayed in tongues and I was instantaneously healed of severe meningitis (laughs) on the spot, (laughs) which was of course absolutely fabulous from the point of view of my health and the future of my marriage. It was also acutely embarrassing because I had been so rude so dismissive of, so ungracious towards the amazing person of the Holy Spirit. And God had just shown me such kindness. I mean, it was inordinately kind of him to do that for me of all people. And so on the back of it, of course, I thought, well, once I'd repented on my face for a little while, I then thought, if we're onto something and if this is true... If it is that we have at our fingertips, literally, the capacity to pray for people and to see their lives changed, to see them healed, to see them restored, to see them built up in their faith, to see them come to Jesus because of the Holy Spirit, this is something I wish to espouse for every day of my life from here on. And that's what I told the Lord. And so I love the Holy Spirit, and I love to talk about him. And I want to tell you just one or two of the things that single him out and what make him so amazing. Because you see, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. All through the scriptures we read, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Even in the days of the judges, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Gideon, of all people, was a total wimp. I mean, he was pathetic, And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he was empowered. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson in power. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon them, it says in Acts, as Paul laid his hands on the believers in Corinth. The Spirit of God comes upon people, and he makes a difference. Many of you would have experienced just in the last half an hour, the Spirit of God came upon you. And Chris facilitated it. He gave us the time. He gave us the space. He allowed us to experience and enjoy the coming upon us of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Sometimes people report feeling the presence of God. Often they don't. Sometimes you can stand in a room in complete silence. And the the, the air is thick with the presence of God as it was just now it's a wonderful thing. Sometimes people say that they feel Jesus. Sometimes when people come to faith in him, they feel him. I prayed for a girl at the front of our church a year or two ago now. She'd been coming quite regularly, but she hadn't yet come to know Jesus for herself. She was quite honestly there because she was chasing the boy who drove a van and was part of the church. And so she came religiously every week in hot pursuit of the van driver. So. And very often she would come forward for prayer because she loved how it felt. And then one morning she came forward and I thought with true pastoral sensitivity, I've had enough of this. <laughs> Honestly, Sunshine, it's time to get your act together. So I said so in as many words, and I said, to her, it's time to come to know Jesus, come on. Why would you not? Give yourself a chance. You know, it, was a, it wasn't a very model piece of evangelism, I have to say. However, the Lord in his kindness, I led her to Jesus and she did indeed profess faith. And the first thing she said to me, after months of prevarication, she said, I feel six feet tall. She had a manifest experience and feeling of the Holy Spirit as he came upon her. And then she got married to the van driver. (laughs) So all was well. All was well. Sometimes people feel the Spirit of God coming upon them. I recently received a letter from someone who confessed to being in a very dark and hurtful place, as she said. Her circumstances were unspeakably awful, and she had a wretched life. But we prayed together, and as we did, she reported this. She said, there was a huge surge of power from my feet upwards, mainly working inside my heart. I was taken aback, because I've seen this happen to others, but never to me. And all the hurt and pain that I had been carrying around for 40 years went in a moment, as the Spirit of God came upon her. From that day on, she said, "I've just felt an incredible peace and calm. The spirit of God comes upon us. The Spirit of God sets people free. You know that. You've seen it on many occasions. People are constantly being liberated by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter three and verse 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. The Spirit of God sets people free. People are being constantly liberated from their sins, liberated from their addictions, liberated from their sicknesses. The Spirit of God is in the business of setting us free. Again, I met a young woman a long, long way away from here, and um, it was about the beginning of this year, and she was a sweetie, and she was on the team, I mean, she was doing the PA, she was doing everything. But she came up very quietly at the end and she asked me to pray for her because she said, I am so angry with God, which as an aside, I would suggest is not a happy place to be. And she said, it was not an unfamiliar story, she was angry about a relationship that didn't work out the way she'd expected. And she said this, I'd been haunted for nearly a year, maybe more, it wouldn't go away, I couldn't stop thinking about it, I was serving in the church, I was on every rotor, I was doing every job, but still, it completely overshadowed everything else in my life. I knew God had been doing wonderful things for me and I had much to be thankful for, but the bitterness in my heart was a weed that was strangling me. And so we prayed together. And she asked for forgiveness for her sin. Her sin in thinking that God owed her something. Her sin in blaming him for a circumstance. And she confessed her sin, and in an instant, she was set free. In an instant. And she reported afterwards a complete change. She said, I could not recognize the person that I was. I was changed in an instant. That's what the Spirit of God does. He comes upon us. He sets us free. And then of course he also changes us. Samuel said to Saul, the Spirit of God will come upon you, Saul, in power, and you will be changed into a different person. The Spirit of God is amazing. The things that he does and the changes that he brings. There was a wonderful Roman Catholic Cardinal, Cardinal Seunens, who was Archbishop in Belgium during the 60s and 70s, and he said this, he said, "'God writes extraordinary novels "'for those of us who are ready to play his game "'and are willing to open their lives "'to the unexpected actions of the Holy Spirit.'" So are you prepared to open your life to the unexpected, ever-exciting actions of the Holy Spirit? and to see the changes that he brings in you and in the circumstances around you. I have so many stories I could tell you, but they're just, and I tell you these stories to encourage you in your faith. Somebody said miracles oxygenate our faith, and the telling of stories oxygenates our faith. It gives us the faith to go and try these things for ourselves. So again, my neighbor, We had breakfast recently. And as we sat down to breakfast, she started to cry, which is, I thought, unusual to start breakfast. Anyway, she was weeping away and she said, I've discovered that I have a lump. And she had a lump in the middle of her abdomen, large and free moving. Now, this is a woman with four children under 10. Everything in me, rose up in indignation. I thought, this is not right. This is not supposed to be like this. The Holy Spirit came upon me and made me mad, to tell you the truth. I was really angry at what the enemy was gonna try and do in this little family. So I said to her, well, we need to have our breakfast and then we need to pray. So we started to pray and I prayed for her. We went home and I prayed for her and my faith would only rise to shriveling. So I, you know, rather than begone, I started on, Lord, would you shrivel this lump? Would you come by your Holy Spirit? Would you start to work in her abdomen and would you shrivel this lump? She then went off and she went on away for a few days with the family and she came back and by that time, emergency surgery had been arranged. On Wednesday, they would tell the children. On Thursday, mother was moving in and on Friday, the surgery was to be performed she came to me on Monday morning. She said, Eleanor, I think it's shriveled. And I've asked for another scan. So that we prayed again. Now my faith was rising. It was more than shriveling, it was banishing. So I was banishing this lump that it would come to nothing and it would disappear completely. So she went that afternoon for a scan, and the whole thing was gone completely, completely gone. In fact, in fact, this is my visual aid for the evening. I've just remembered that I have it. These were her medical notes, and across the bottom she's written, it's gone. So all the things that the surgeon said, all the things that had been said over her, all the fate that had been spoken to her, was gone in an instant because of the power of the Holy Spirit to change a situation. And how hard is it? There's nothing, honestly, I I tell you from my heart, there's nothing that special about me. I just go and do it sometimes. And I find that more people get healed when I pray than do when I don't. And it's just sort of basic mathematics, really. I mean, call, call me simple, but it seems pretty obvious to me. I have two wonderful daughters-in-law, both equally wonderful. One of them had a friend who was expecting a baby, and the baby had been was eight, eight months this baby was within her. She was with child, and she was the unhappiest, most wretched girl, because she had been told that there was no way that this child was going to live. Its little lungs were shriveled like hazelnuts. They weren't going to grow, they were never going to be viable. Every time she had... She'd waited for eight years for this child. And now this baby was on the way, and it was condemned to death. And all the medics said, we're not going to revive or resuscitate. You need to understand. She was offered terminations every time she went, every time she refused. But there was no joy. There was no planning. There was no shopping. There was no painting of a nursery. There was no buying of anything. She was living under a death sentence, and she was so sad. And my darling Holly said to me, Ellie, this is not good. Will you come and pray with me? So we got a little team of her friends, and we went and we prayed together. And we start, again, it was this anger that God would, that, that the enemy would so blight what God had intended for this young mother. And she was a young mother already by eight months. So we prayed for her, and we prayed that God would give her joy and that he would forgive her for her ingratitude. She said she confessed her ingratitude. She'd asked for years. And then when God did give her a baby, she just couldn't even be grateful for it. So it was amazing and we prayed and prayed. We went away and then she started to get excited. And for four weeks she started to shop and to paint and to plan and to make arrangements. And then the time came for the baby to be born and everybody in the hospital said stand by because this is going to be a death, we're delivering a dead baby. The baby was born. Her lungs were perfect. She went straight home. And all the, I mean, it was so wonderful. And this little girl, and of course they put grace somewhere in the name. um, It it just was such a sweet thing. And I tell you that to tell you this, this is what disciples do. This is what the men and women of the St. Albans Vineyard, Do. This is the way that God intends to affect your communities. When you go and you talk about Jesus and you offer to pray for people, and not least you offer to pray for their children. Very often I have found in the past that people sometimes get a bit funny if you want to say to them, would you like me to pray for you? And they get a bit shirty. And if they're, you know, many people to me say no. But if they have a child that is sick, or if they're worried about a child, I've never come across a parent who's refused a prayer for their child. And it 's a wonderful, wonderful thing that we get to do, changing the lives of these people, and we don't even have to have immense faith. I know another couple, young couple, they had um, what they called a pastor at a house group, and uh, it, they filled it with their friends, and it was a wonderful group. but one of the members of the group went skiing and uh, In the Alps, I think it was, and during the course of his skiing, he fell and broke his back. He was airlifted off the slopes, brought home by ambulance, back broken in several places, and I mean, put straight into a cast, which went from his neck down to below his hips, and the um, surgeon said, it'll be over a year until you can do a thing. This boy, the first week he was home, begged his mother to take him to this house group. And so she laid him out in the back of the car and he went to the house group. He arrived with the house group and I have to say, they were all absolutely appalled because they were so heartbroken for him and he was so incapacitated and in terrible pain. And they didn't know what to do with him. So they sort of laid him out in the middle of the room and they're you know, they sort of sorry for him and feeding him, and doing everything you should do. And then they thought that perhaps they'd better pray for him. So they, they had no faith at all. They started praying that God would teach him the lessons that he wanted him to learn from this accident ghastly, and all the sort of ways that they could possibly pray, other than actually have to pray that he got better. And then one bright spark said, well, maybe we should pray that he gets better. And they, they laid hands on this boy, and they did what they thought they ought to do. Faith level zero, okay? And then he got back, and they carried him to the car, and his mother drove him home. All night long, his back was on fire, on fire, all night The next day they went back to the surgeon and it was completely healed. He was at work in a week, (laughs) at work in a week. Now, one could go on, one could go on with these wonderful stories, but I only tell you them to oxygenate your faith, to make you realize that you don't have to be terribly clever, you don't have to be terribly qualified, you don't even have to have faith that would move mountains. You just have to do what it says in the book. So the question is not, you know, do I have faith, or could I, or might I? The question is, will you or won't you, quite honestly? Alan Scott leads a wonderful vineyard in the north of Ireland, and I saw a little Tweety thing, you know, he does a Tweety thing. As some of us try to do, to varying degrees of success. But um, he had a little Tweety thing, and he said, if you don't think you have the gift of healing, try the gift of obedience. And isn't that good? I was really challenged. I thought that was terrific. I mean, it's so obvious. Okay, so maybe you don't think you've got the gift of healing. Maybe your faith isn't very high. Maybe you're a very shy person. Just try doing what it says in the book. And you will be so amazed what God will do. Because the Holy Spirit has come in order to change us. And in order to change any situation in which we find ourselves. So I commend the Holy Spirit to you. I tell you he is amazing. I tell you that he can come upon you. I tell you that he can set you free. I tell you that he can change you and the circumstances in which you find yourself. And the last thing I want to tell you about him is that he can fill you. The Holy Spirit fills us. Paul said to the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. And his instruction to them is exactly the same as the Lord's instruction to us this very night. That we be filled with his Holy Spirit. There was a wonderful American evangelist you will have heard of called D.L. Moody. And he once said, a, a woman came up to him, a rather grumpy, stroppy woman. And she came up to him and said, Mr. Moody, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And he very graciously said, Madam, I am, but I leak. And the truth is, we do. So this morning, I felt quite filled with the Spirit. By this evening, I felt very empty again. When you started, you might have felt full of the Spirit, and now you need more again. And my sense this evening is that God wants to fill the men and women of the St. Albans Vineyard with his Holy Spirit. Because what he's done up to this point has been amazing. But I think I have to tell you that what he plans to do for the next stage of your church is even more you have a very great deal more to come. You're just getting into your stride. You're like athletes who've got their feet in, feet in the starting blocks, and the race is ahead of you, and there is much, to, well, to mix the metaphor, much land yet to be possessed. You are a rich church. You are a wealthy church. God has blessed you enormously. He has graced you with fine leaders. He's bringing people to you week in and week out. You have hundreds of children, you have scores of young, you have hundreds of people who filled with the Holy Spirit can influence this area of the country more than you can begin to imagine. And I would love to pray for you this evening. It's a very simple prayer that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So why don't you pray, uh, stand, we will pray and then we will see what God will do with us. Lord, here we are. We thank you for your presence, your empowering presence. And Lord, we ask you now to come and to fill us again with your precious, amazing, life-giving, wonderful, empowering Holy Spirit. Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So Lord, we invite you now to come and to fill the church with your spirit.